to believe. What we believe shapes how we see and experience everything in this world. But belief can fluctuate from person to person. I find that I only really say I believe something when I'm trying to make my point about something that doesn't seem as obvious to everyone else. For instance, I believe my team's going to do it this year, and here's why. Or I believe that country music is God's music. Or what about I believe that McDonald's is actually better than In-N-Out? Yes, maybe these kind of beliefs might impact the jerseys you wear or the station you turn it to, or it might impact where you go to eat. But believing can get a lot deeper than that, right? And it can get even a, have a greater impact on our lives. Things like, I believe if I invest in this company, I'm going to be rich. Or if I eat good food and I exercise regularly, I'm going to avoid ever getting sick. Or I believe if I get this bigger house or this nicer car, I'm going to be happier. Consider how those beliefs can impact you. Or the impact that they can make when those things that you believe in, they don't pan out like you thought they would. And all of a sudden the money starts disappearing. The sickness and the aches and pains still come. And you just realize you're not as happy as you thought you would be. I mean, Christmas is coming. It's, it's tomorrow, and I remember believing I was going to get something, and I didn't get it. Or believing that that road trip that my sister and I were going to take up north to visit our families was going to be great, but it didn't quite turn out that way. Have you ever believed that nothing was going to go wrong? And it did. You see, along with belief can also come disappointment and in that disappointment, it can cause you to begin to doubt that which you think you believe. You, be, you see, because belief is really accepting something true that we can't outright always prove. I heard it say that if you doubt nothing, you are not exercising faith at all. So in reality, believing can feel risky at times. What if I am wrong? What if I don't know the whole story? What, what if this ruins my life? Or if believing this is going to force me to change something that I don't want to change? So the reality for many, and, and something that I have faced at different times in my life, is that darkness can accompany believing. Because what I believe can be questioned and will be questioned in my time of darkness and struggle, confusion, disappointment, and doubts. Because all of our stories, doesn't matter where you are in life, all of our stories include believing, trusting, and acting on faith. All of them. Every one of us accepts something as true that we can't outright always prove and it impacts our life and all of us probably at times have faced darkness where we're grasping for whatever it is that we believe in whatever that thing is or that person is to help us through a man pleaded in the bible help me overcome my unbelief 
Or even Jesus at his time of that darkest hour said, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? You see, we find that all of everything began in darkness becoming light. In Genesis 1, it said, darkness was over the surface of the deep, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. And every day, we are reminded of this as we see the reality of the sun going down and the sun rising again. And how long sometimes those nights can feel. But the sun will always rise. But I've had my heart cry out in the middle of the night, hurry and come, son. I need some light because the darkness can be scary at times and lonely. But I believe the sun will rise again. Why do I believe that? Well, it did today and yesterday and a month ago and 10 years ago. For thousands of years, the sun has been rising. You see, my believing in what can help me today oftentimes is based on what happened and helped me yesterday or a week ago or a year ago or maybe even 2,000 years ago. I can only imagine the darkness and how dark some of those nights must have felt for that young couple, Mary and Joseph. As they traveled from Nazareth to Bethlehem, which they say could be a four to seven day journey walking while Mary was in this advanced stage of pregnancy. I wonder if during those nights of travel that they even kind of faced shame at times and they struggled with this reality of what they were going through as they stayed at different people's houses along the way, wherever they can find a place to stay. And they had to deal with the questions of Mary being with child before they had actually gotten married. I mean, what would they say to those questions? They stop at a house and people start asking them, are they going to tell them the truth? Are they going to tell them the truth about what's going on in their lives? I mean, people might think they're crazy, right? So tell us your story. Well, an angel came to me and told me that I'd be with child that comes from God. It's from the Holy Spirit, actually not from him. And that baby's going to save the world from its sins. Really? I think we would like you to leave now. We have children in here and we're scared of you. I don't think they would have told their story on that journey. I think they would have just kept it to themselves because you see, Mary needed a place to stay each night. She needed a rest. She couldn't get kicked out or have people thinking they were crazy. She was ready to give birth and any day now could be the day. So staying at a place and finding someplace each night was important. Well, after that long journey, they finally arrive in Bethlehem in time for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, a firstborn of son. And she wrapped him in cloths and she placed him in a manger. Wait a minute. 
a manger? An animal feeding trough? You mean they're in a stable? She gave birth in a place where animals live? Yeah. Because on that day they got to Bethlehem, there was no room for them. Every place was full. Many had come for that census that was being taken, so they could not find a place. So I can only imagine the darkness they must have felt as they realized that there was no room anywhere for them. And they had to look around for some place, and they found a stable where a bunch of animals live and sleep, and they went in there for shelter and to have the baby. Mary, this meek, humble young girl, yet courageous and strong, a faithful servant who loved God and believed in Him to get her through this time. I bet you she was remembering and finding strength in the words of that angel over nine months earlier that spoke to her. You will be with a child and give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will never end. And I also picture Joseph just desperately trying to find the cleanest corner of this makeshift delivery room. Moving animals out of the way, sweeping away hay mixed with, well, you know, right? Animal waste. Trying to find something clean, battling this smell, all the while hearing Mary suffering through labor pains, knowing that this was the night. And this would be the place where their son would be born. And in the darkness, I could feel Joseph's concerns, his fears, his doubts of this whole situation he finds himself in right now. But I'm sure he just kept thinking of those words that he heard many months ago. I'm sure every day for the last eight or nine months through this whole situation, he kept thinking of the words that that angel spoke to him in that dream. And I bet you that dream felt like a long, long, long time ago. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. Because he will save his people from their sins. So in that stable that night, both Mary and Joseph kept believing, kept trusting. Even in the darkness, they believed and trusted that truly this was no normal night. Because in that stable, in the middle of that darkness, light was coming to the world. By Steve's story, it was very clear that a thrill of hope was not the words that would have described that night. It was not the words that would have described the birth of Jesus Christ. The scene is an oppressed nation under the brutal rule of a power-hungry and bloodthirsty Roman Empire. A scared young mother in a strange city who was told that she would have a divine child who would be the savior of the world. A confused young man helping to give birth and to raise a son that was not his own. An impoverished couple who couldn't even find a decent shelter to give birth to their new child. 
And the only thing they could do in that shelter was to put a makeshift crib together from hay in a feed trough. A thrill of hope would never have described that first Christmas morning. And if we were to be honest, some of us might say a thrill of hope doesn't exactly describe my life today. Would you describe your life as a thrill of hope? My life is thrilling. My life is hopeful. For some of us, yeah, we're having a great time, great season of life. For others, we might say, you know what? I am struggling. And maybe this season you are wrestling with the loss of a loved one. Maybe you can't get out of this emotional funk that you're in. Maybe your family is in turmoil or your family is, is broken. Maybe this life isn't what you imagined it would be when you were younger. Maybe the holidays didn't quite turn out as you had expected. You had this, this idea that your family would come together, that everybody would be there, that everybody would be happy, or that you, you would avoid crazy Uncle, Uncle Lou, but he's coming, right? It's just not shaping up the way you thought it would. Maybe you're sitting in church on Christmas Eve and you're thinking, I was hoping to avoid church this Christmas, but here you are, right? Life just doesn't quite turn out as you had expected. So maybe a thrill of hope doesn't quite describe your life. But there was an announcement that came that night, that first Christmas night, that we want to put in our brains because for 2,000 years, this announcement has been ringing out in the world. And here it is. This is good news of great joy. This for all people. A Savior is born this day who is Christ the Lord. And then later, glory to God in the highest, peace on earth and goodwill toward men. Now, the reality is this is a very, very hopeful and thrilling announcement that goes out in a very dark and desperate scene. And so this idea of a thrill of hope was something that wasn't felt that, that Christmas night, and it might not be felt here this Christmas Eve, but this promise still remains. And that promise, this announcement on that first Christmas night gives us a thrill of hope, a thrill of hope that there is a God and that's not always obvious at times. We look around the world, the suffering and the pain of the world sometimes, and even the struggles in our own life, and sometimes we question, is there even a God? But on that first Christmas night, when we see the Son of God, the full representation of God, the fullness of divinity and the fullness of humanity, there is a God that's thrilling and that's hopeful. We're not, we're not just floating in space all by ourselves. There's a thrill of hope that our lives have meaning, our lives have purpose, that our lives matter now and forever. If we can believe that announcement that God loves and cares and that he sent his only son for us to bring us to God and to bring a new hope to this world, that's thrilling. We can embrace that happily. It's a thrill of hope that God is good, that he is kind, that he cares. Most people believe God is angry with them because they're not good enough. They're not religious enough. Most people believe God's mad, just ready to condemn us now or forever. A thrill of hope believes what Jesus said about God, that God's a loving heavenly father for us, not against us, eager to forgive us and bring us to himself and have us enjoy that relationship with him now and forever. That's a thrill of hope. A thrill of hope that God proved his love at Jesus' birth, that he cares and he engaged our human history and that through the service of Jesus Christ as he served everybody, the least, the last, the lost, the irreligious, the ones who were condemned, the outcast, the ones labeled sinners as he served everybody. It shows the heart of God for everybody. And then he gave his life as a sacrifice on a cross to show the full extent of his love for us, giving his life for the benefit of the whole world, to forgive the whole world and to bring the whole world into a right relationship with God by grace alone, not by good works, not by religion, but by grace. That's a thrill of hope. God is real, God is good, God cares, God is love, God forgives, and God gives us new and eternal life freely by grace. He proved all of this at the birth of Jesus Christ, all of it. And by the death of Christ, he shows 
that he bears the sin and suffering of the world and what emerges is a resurrection of Christ and a resurrection to a new life for us all. That's the good news. That's the thrill of hope. So is your life right here, right now, a thrill of hope? It can be. Your life can be a thrill of hope. Now, I'm not saying your life can be wonderful and perfect. Not everything works out the way we want. God never promised that our life will work out the way we want, the way we plan, the way we envision. Sometimes things go well, sometimes they go horribly wrong. But in all of that, our life can be a thrill of hope. And you can be thankful knowing that you are loved unconditionally. That's what Jesus came to deliver. That's the news he came to deliver. You are loved unconditionally. God doesn't love you more or less based on what you do. He doesn't love you more or less based on how devout you are in your religion or how sincere you are. He just loves you as a heavenly father unconditionally loves his children. Your life can be a thrill of hope based on that. Your life can be a thrill of hope experiencing the peace of God knowing that God will never leave you. He never turns his back on you. He never is angry with you or disappointed with you. He is for you and he wants you to live a life of great peace knowing he is right there with you and by his spirit in you, no matter what's going on in your life, no matter if you are, are doing well or struggling, no matter if, if you are a, you know, a wonderful moral person or you are struggling, God's love is on you. His forgiveness is on you by grace. That makes life the thrill of hope. Your life can be a thrill of hope choosing to enjoy God. God is here not to keep us in line. He's here so that we would enjoy him, enjoy being loved by a heavenly father. And enjoy being alive. I mean, sometimes we, we lose the wonder of just being alive. Do you realize? You may not know this, but you're alive. You woke up today. That's an amazing gift. Today's an amazing gift. We can live in that thrill of hope. Thank you for today. And God, thank you for the people around me. Thank you for this, this family of mine. And yes, they are imperfect. They're imperfect, unlike me. But I can enjoy these people, I can enjoy God, enjoy this life, enjoy this, this family, enjoy friends, enjoy the work I get to put my hands and my head to. This life can be a thrill of hope if we would simply embrace who God is, embrace his love through Jesus Christ and live out this wonderful meaning and purpose to receive love and give love to this world. So for many of you, if you were to be honest, you might not describe your life as a thrill of hope. That's why the next line of that beautiful song we just heard is so important. A new and glorious morn, a new and glorious morning can come for everybody. And a new and glorious morning is why Jesus came at night. He came at night, not just because the, the, the sun was, was set, but because it's a symbol that the world is in darkness. And so many of us are, are in darkness because we don't know this unconditional love of God. But that night, a star shined particularly bright that night. And that was a symbol that even in the darkness of the sky, there is a single flicker of light that is bringing the promise of a new and glorious morning to us and to the whole world. And for 2,000 years, the birth of Christ has been symbolized by light. There's lights everywhere, right? There's millions of lights just in Temecula alone. There, there may be lights in your own home right now. Every single light that you put up, you may not have known this, but every light you put up is a symbol of the light of Jesus Christ shining in a dark world. And that light keeps growing and growing and multiplying. And that light is shared with, with one another and shared with our friends and neighbors, just living lives of love because we know what it's like to be loved by God. Receive that light and share that light. John 1, 4 says, in him, in Christ was life and that light was the light of men. Jesus is the light of the world. So how can we live in that thrill of hope and how can we step into that new and glorious morning? It's one word and it's believe. Believe. 
As Steve said earlier, belief is, is an expression of faith and trust in something and someone that we can't prove. But there's a persuasion there. There's an assurance there that there is a God, that God loves, that he sent his son to be the full expression of our heavenly father. And that full expression is an expression of love and service and sacrifice for us all, bearing the sin and suffering of the world upon himself, dying for it, dying to it, but raising from the, rising from the dead in victory. The new and glorious morning can be for us. The new and glorious morning can be for the whole world by belief. John 1.12 says, yet to all who receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become a child of God. You can become a child of God right now by belief. You step into this reality of God's love and care for your life. And so we're gonna light some candles. Light has always been a symbol of, of God's grace through Jesus Christ. Light has been the centerpiece of every Christmas for about 1,700 years. And it's, it's a light that we're gonna celebrate and share tonight. On that first Christmas, it was dark. On that first Christmas, it was frankly miserable. The environment was miserable. The political oppression was miserable. This poor couple was miserable. And this baby was born in a barn, wrapped in common cloth and laid in a feed trough. That light of the world was born in darkness and it was just a flicker at the time, just a flicker of light. Then Jesus was, was raised in this incredible family of love. He received the call of God that he would then become a light of the world, become the Christ, the Savior, the Messiah, the one who would save us from all the wrongs and bring in a whole new season of right, a whole new kingdom of love. He raised up these disciples and he shared with his disciples the light of the kingdom of heaven, the light of love. And as he shared that light with his disciples, his disciples shared that with hundreds, then thousands, and now two billion people all across this world are celebrating the light and the life of Jesus Christ this Christmas Eve. As you receive this light, as you receive this lick of fire on your candle, I pray that that would be an expression of faith that you would believe that God loves you and you would believe that he loves you through Jesus Christ who gave it all for you, dying on a cross to forgive your sin, forgive the sins of the world, to bear the suffering and shame and pain of this world upon himself so that he would rise again and conquer it, removing every barrier between man and us. As you receive this light, let it be an expression of belief, but then share that light with your neighbor. And as you share that light with your neighbor, I pray that it would be a commitment that you would not only receive the love of God, but share the love of God with everyone, loving everyone everywhere. As Jesus says, love your neighbor. As Jesus says, love those who are unlovable, the least, the last, and the lost, even loving our enemies. I wanna encourage you, of course, be careful with your candle, especially those of you that have kids, watch them carefully. If you're sitting behind somebody with big hair, be especially careful. You bald people are safe. This light is a symbol of believing in the light of the world, Jesus Christ, and sharing that light with others. Let's all stand as we sing Silent Night.
that light, I pray that it was a symbol of faith, your faith in God's love through Jesus Christ, your faith in knowing that Jesus Christ, as he lived a life among us of service and, and selflessness, he also gave his life as a sacrifice to forgive us, to forgive the sins of the world, and to bring us into a right relationship with God by faith alone, not by good works, not by religious devotion, by faith alone. And as you shared that light, I pray that it was a symbol that you will commit to share that love with other people, bringing light to this dark world. Would you carefully lift up your candle and the room brightens when the light of Jesus Christ is lifted up, the room brightens when the light of Jesus Christ is shared. Share the love of Christ this Christmas. Receive that love and share that love as a lifestyle. God bless you and Merry Christmas.